0: We'll mm-hmm.
1: Hello and welcome to the podcast of TechEU. I am your host, Andre Degler. I hope you are staying as safe and healthy as possible these days and that you can care about yourself and people around you. And once again, let us take a minute to appreciate the work of the people doing the jobs where staying home is not an option. Thank you for doing these incredibly important things these days. Now, if you're following us on Twitter, which you should, of course, you have seen our call for interesting people and startups to interview in the coming weeks. We have got a lot of responses and already started recording, and today I wanted to share with you two conversations. The first one is with Karil Bihai from Preply, which is a language learning startup from Ukraine that's got pretty big news to share with us. And then the other is with Hjalmar Nordgen from Karma, which is a Swedish startup that fights food waste globally. But before we get to any of that, let us spend the next three and a half minutes catching up with the tech news in Europe with the help of our reporter, Annie Musgrove.
2: Hi, I'm Annie Musgrove of TechEU, and here are some of the most important news stories in European tech. Lilium, the German startup developing an electric jet and on-demand flight taxi service, has raised a whopping 224 million euros in an internal funding round. The capital injection was led by Tencent, with Atomico and U.S.-based Obvious Ventures investing again as well. Founder Daniel Vigan says the startup will use the massive funding for development and flight tests, as well as the series production of its jet. The jet is powered by electricity, reportedly flying 300 kilometers with a single charge. Future development will aim to hit two targets, a top speed of 300 kilometers per hour, and carrying its first passengers in 2025. France will roll out a 4 billion euro liquidity support plan for startups in the wake of the coronavirus outbreak Reuters reports. The plan includes a short-term refinancing scheme of 160 million euros, the early payment of some tax credits, 1.5 billion, the accelerated payment of already planned investments in the sector, 250 million, and guarantees over cash flow costs, 2 billion euro. Germany's global savings group, the e-commerce content company, has acquired French cashback company Egral for €123.5 million. Euros. The deal involves a mixture of cash and stock, TechCrunch reports. Namely, GSG has paid €35 million euros in cash, and the remaining is made up of an exchange of shares. In combination, Egral and GSG say the two companies intend to expand their cashback and loyalty solutions into new European markets, and thereby significantly increasing its member base and reach. Kazoo, the UK platform for online car sales, has raised £100 million just three months after launching. The round was led by DMG Ventures alongside other investors such as General Catalyst, Octopus Ventures, 8Roads Ventures, and Stride VC. Unlike some other platforms, Kazoo actually owns and fully reconditions all of its cars before offering them for sale on the marketplace and then delivering them directly to the buyer's door. Kazoo also says that the platform has generated over 20 million pounds in revenue in these first three months. London-based data center solutions company Softiron has raised 34 million U.S. dollars, the Series B round is led by the company's co founder, Norman Fraser, with support from existing investors. Fraser's had two previous wins in tech entrepreneurship, Vocalis and Indava, which both had IPOs and reached unicorn valuations. Softiron specializes in creating appliances for data center scaling, addressing issues such as density, efficiency, capacity, speed, and heat emission. Finally, the UK government has approached Amazon and other companies about using their services to deliver coronavirus tests, the Financial Times reports. Companies like Amazon would help deliver tests to medical and social care workers initially, and then to the general public. The idea of sending test kits to people at home is another option being explored. These were some of the most important European tech news stories from the week of March 23rd. I'm Annie Musgrove. Now back to Andre.
1: Thank you so much Annie, thanks a lot for this great overview. Now, back to the interviews that I promised to you earlier. So, first up is Preply, the language learning startup that's got good news to share, which is especially important these days.
3: So, hey, this is uh, Robin from Tech.U. I'm here uh, joined remotely, of course, uh, by Kirill, who's one of the co-founders and CEO of Preply, uh, a Ukraine-born startup that is in the online learning field. Kirill, uh, what can you tell me more about Preply in a nutshell?
0: First of all, thank you, Robin, for taking time to speak to me. I guess it's now a lot of things happening in the world and you're quite busy with other uh, news. So, in Preply, we are building the global marketplace for online tutoring. To shape their future effective learning, so we are trying to focus on making uh, learning as efficient as possible. And uh, in our in our mind, in our strategy, it starts from efficient one-on-one classes and efficient matching between learner and teacher. And is this
3: online learning for anything, or is it focused on language, for example, or mathematics? What is it focused on?
0: We currently focus on languages, and uh, we want to provide uh, we want to build a very good product for this specific niche first. And we want to build something that would be, um, you know, um, outstanding and above the market. And then we can think about any other subject.
3: Great. Uh, so maybe take me back to the beginning of the company. Why was it started? Uh, when was it started? Where, et cetera? Uh, some basic facts.
0: Yeah, we started it. Uh, we started the journey with co-founders in 2012. It was a couple of um, unsuccessful tries in the beginning. So the product that we um, uh, keep uh, have been keeping developing until now, uh, we start in 2013. Um, and uh, in 2013, we, we were trying in a way to solve our own problem. So we were learning um, English because just we, we just arrived from Boston where we tried um, our where we tried to launch a product uh, for also marketplace for online preparation for SAT and ACT. Um, and being in Boston, we understood that uh, we need to significantly improve our language skills, in English especially. And uh, um, and we started learning with a couple of uh, teachers uh, online. Um, and then uh, when we decided to move back to Kiev, to Ukraine, um, uh, we understood that this niche that we understand is much better, and that's what we want to do. So we we started building a marketplace in the beginning for... Um, English tutors for English online tutoring, and then we scale it to other uh, languages.
3: Great. Um, obviously, that's a very, very competitive field. I can think of a number of uh, online uh, language learning tools uh, and applications. Uh, so, what sets you apart? What differentiates you from the competition?
0: Yeah, I think that um when when you think about global language learning market there are definitely different solutions. Uh we try to work with a solution. We we, we believe that our solution is one of the most efficient ways to learn a language and to actually start speaking. So you can play a lot with the apps, uh but if you really want to, you know, uh achieve some significant progress, you need you still need to have a human interaction. And that's what we are focusing on. Um we believe that one-on-one tutoring is uh, one of the most efficient ways and i think our um our core focus is to uh make those connections between learner, learners and teachers um as efficient as possible um and uh we we are a very global player so we have customers and teachers all around the world and uh in fact 90% of our classes are happening between learner and teacher uh, from different countries so it it goes a bit I think what I really like about Preply that it's more than just a language learning. You meet people from different parts of the world. You learn about their communication style, about their culture, about their everyday life. So that part is very interesting. But also from the technical perspective, we have a challenge to match this supply and demand on a global scale. And if there are hundred of learners, let's say in Mexico, who wants to learn German in the evening times and they don't know German at all, we need to have those 10, 15 German teachers who are available at the evening times of uh, Mexico City, uh, and uh, it's probably people not who, it's probably people who don't live uh, in Europe because of the time difference, uh, but also who would uh, fit uh, into the uh, price range of customers in Mexico City and who would also speak Spanish. So it's quite an interesting challenge to find all of these uh, micro segments and uh, build the right supply and demand dynamics. And that's what we are focusing on uh, in the first place. And uh, secondly, uh, we tried to improve um, um, uh, language learning experience online. Uh, So we we launched our video platform recently, and right now we are working on uh, many different tools to actually help learners and teachers to be more efficient um, uh, working online with each other. I guess there is also other part, a tutor side, so supply side. And uh, they they're not entrepreneurs by themselves so they're teachers uh, uh, and uh, what we are trying to uh, help them to do is to uh, become a biz- to become a business people so we we have a uh, performance dashboard where we show key metrics for them what they should focus on uh, we provide them with the payments methods we of course deliver them uh, learners uh, we build a simple CRM system for them so they can manage their lessons teachers and they also have calendar. Uh, so it's to, to, to manage their schedule very efficiently. And it's, of course, a big help for learners as well, because they can uh, book, uh, um, book any teacher in a couple of clicks.
3: Great. And what's the model behind it? If someone books a, a teacher, a tutor, um, you get a commission on every transaction or how does it work?
0: Yeah, exactly. So it's—I think it's a very uh, common marketplace uh, uh, marketplace business model. So we take a transaction uh, from—we we we, we take a fee from from a transaction.
3: Great. Uh, So that means you have to scale the business uh, in order to be, you know, interesting. Uh, You said you're scaling globally, but just to give me an idea, where do most of your current customers uh, come from?
0: yeah most of the customers come from united states um and uh in the United States there are a lot of people who learn spanish but also uh german french um and in addition, there are a lot of immigrants who are still improving their english skills um so it's it's uh, the largest single market for us uh but if we if if you if you think about regions i think North America and European Union would be more than fifty percent of our sales.
3: Right um, now we're living in a time of crisis, as I'm sure everybody knows by now. Um, has it affected uh, you as a business? Have you seen an uptick in demand, for example, or and how are you dealing with this internally as well?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think the effect of COVID 19 on the on the lives of individuals and companies is is deeply upsetting and uh, uh, and, and quite scary. Uh, but at the same time, what I can tell you is that. Uh, we see an increase in demand for on- online language learning. Um, I think in the uh, in the in the last uh, three weeks, uh, we saw almost fifty percent week on a week uh, grow- week over week growth. Uh, so I think right now our our demand uh, on the platform almost doubled comparing to what it was um, um, three weeks ago. Um, and uh, we see a bigger spikes in, uh, in, in 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 countries. Um, That we've been uh, that um, uh, were locked down for a longer time, uh, like Italy. So in Italy, it's uh, it's a big growth as well on both sides, on uh, learners and teachers. So um, uh, learners, of course, they are trying to you know um, use uh, their time efficiently while they're at home, and on the teacher side, we see also quite a big spike in in. Uh, in the interest because people uh, are staying at home and they still need to make additional income. So right now we are working uh, really, really hard to provide very good experience for learners, but also on board as many uh, teachers as possible.
3: Great. Uh, Interesting times. Um, And how are you dealing with it internally? I assume that you're working remotely, but has it affected your daily operations uh, significantly?
0: So we switched uh, to remote work around two weeks ago. Um, so far, it works uh, well. I think that we are trying to understand what we can do extra for our employees to ensure that they have everything they need at home. And uh, um, I think there are a couple of interesting initiatives uh, for socializing that we launched. It's, um, um, it is uh, Zoom lunches or Zoom coffee, uh, so people can still socialize uh, and not not only talk about the work um also we are trying to you know um continue to communicate and over communicate to our employees that they should you know uh separate their uh their personal life and and work life um it's i I think right now a lot of them are working just a lot because that's probably one of the most interesting things you can do at home uh so and we are trying to you know um uh, trying to kind of we re- re- communicate to them that they should um, uh, spend more time without work, so uh, to avoid any um, any any cases of burn, burning out.
3: Yeah, quite interesting, and also speaks uh, volumes about the culture at the company. Now, if all goes well, this interview is going to be published on Monday, thirty March, which is also the day that you're announcing uh, some news for Preply. So, do you want to elaborate on that?
0: Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so we, uh, we 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 we've recently closed a ten million round. Uh, led by Hoxton ventures uh, it 's a uk based fund with uh, uh, with amazing traction uh, so they, they have very nice portfolio and uh, 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 great founders um, uh, there who are very supportive um, and uh, very helpful um, um, in this round there are also some of our previous investors who participate as well uh, participated as well so uh, such investors as Point nine capital and uh, Arthur Coson who is also um, i co-founder of Booking.com and former CMO of Booking, um, and we also have some uh, new funds uh, joined from different parts of of, of Europe. So I guess uh, it uh, we, we are trying to build a very international team internally. We have customers uh, globally, and also it seems that we also have investors from different parts of the world. So there are going to be a couple of funds from France. So it's uh, the family and uh, uh, Edu Capital. Uh, then we we'll have uh, we are going to have um, So All Iron from Spain joined uh, this round as well. We have Point9 from Germany, Hoxham from UK. There are a couple of angels uh, from the US as well. Uh, So it's a very interesting set of investors. Um, uh, So, and um, I'm very excited about um, uh, working with them.
3: Yeah, great. Uh, Quite an international team and also an international roster of investors. It's always interesting. Um, What are you going to do with the money, though? How will the capital be deployed? Because I um, understand that you're uh, going to open in the US. uh, But what else are you going to spend uh, the fresh cash on?
0: Yeah, I think uh, we are in the marketplace business. And as you mentioned before, it's very important to uh, scale this business. So, And that's exactly what we are going to focus on. I think we have a very good product market fit. Of course, we are not stopping our product development and we'll continue uh, continuously iterate on improving it. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's a moment when we want to scale both learners and teachers' side. And we will be focusing on key markets. So it's going to be um, uh, Western Europe, North America, a couple of countries uh, in, uh, in the pack region, And we really want to go deeply into those markets and acquire more customers. So it's a a growth growth phase for us. Great. Um,
3: Maybe a devil's advocate question, but um, I'm assuming that the the round was closed before the Corona storm uh, hit the world. Um, Do you think if you would start fundraising now, there would be a completely different story?
0: Uh, interesting question. Interesting. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I think that uh, from what I read on the internet uh, and from the some sentiments of investors who shared it with me, uh, the, there are going to be not a lot of activities in VC world. But at the same time, I was contacted by a couple of VCs after uh, coronavirus uh, uh, um, uh, outbreak. And I think there is a particular interest in online education in ad ed tech uh, companies. Um, um, and uh, who knows I don't know maybe it would be different uh, um, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad to, to close this round before it happened and I'm glad that I have uh, such investors on board
3: Yeah, I can imagine uh, final question because uh, I haven't been to Ukraine in ages what can you tell me about uh, the startup ecosystem and the, the tech scene over there uh, right now
0: I think it's growing very quickly. Um, I think that the, the ecosystem was built mainly on um, 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 outsourcing companies, outsourcing software houses, uh, but there are more and more Uh, companies from Europe and U.S. who are opening their R&D centers as well. And it, of course, uh, stimulates local ecosystem and local startups. Um, I mean, Grammarly is one of the good examples. I guess they're they're now unicorn. They started uh, with the largest office in Ukraine and now they scale to San Francisco, uh, if I remember Vancouver and New York. Um, We have um, uh, a couple of other uh, local players. We have um, um, Rink, uh, Ring R&D Center, Ring uh, Doorbell that was acquired by Amazon by $1 billion. We have uh, Wix R&D Center as well. So there are a lot of companies who are actually uh, launching uh, uh, their second offices in Kyiv because of the tech talent. And uh, it's a big help for uh, local startup ecosystem. Uh, so it's it's developing very well. I think we still need to work on making it more international and build a better connections uh, between key ecosystems and Kyiv um but it's it's quite exciting
3: yeah i was just gonna ask maybe final final question then what what are the biggest problems about uh, you know starting a company in ukraine
0: yeah i think uh i think i think ukraine was isolated for a very long time from international community uh so we don't have enough international talent um i guess uh that's changing um but it's i think i i would i would like to see changing faster um when, when you think about scaling company from Kiev, in my opinion, uh, at this stage, we definitely need open, uh, to open uh, another office either in Europe or US uh, to attract uh, senior leadership who, who, uh, who has built uh, big companies before, uh, but also um, such talent as the product managers and marketeers. So I think that the that, uh, scene is very strong on tech. Um, and when it comes to um, soft skills, uh, it's, it's better to look for those soft skills in Europe or US.
3: Great. Well, Carol, I can't thank you enough for your time. I really appreciate getting to know Preppy a little bit better. Uh, glad to hear you're doing well as a company. Uh, congrats on the fundraise as well. And uh, yeah, best of luck with everything that's uh, to follow.
0: Uh, thank you very much, Robin. It's, it's been a pleasure talking to you.
1: And that's one interview done, one more to go. Coming up next is a conversation with Hjalmar Nordigan, the co-founder of Karma. The startup is quite interesting, of course. It fights the food waste problem across the world and it's doing it in an interesting way. But the founder of the startup is actually no less interesting. I recently learned that Hjalmar is a trained medical doctor and has experience in enterprise software of all things. So not exactly your typical founder. And of course, a startup that's working closely with restaurants and the hospitality industry is seeing a lot of changes now that nobody's really eating out. But things might not be as bad as they seem. So let's hear what Hjalmar has to say.
3: So hey, this is uh, Robin from tech.ru. I'm joined here remotely, of course, from a safe distance. Is uh, Hjalmar uh, calling in from Stockholm. He is one of the founders of a company called Karma. Uh, Started in 2016, a Swedish startup uh, attacking the very big problem of food waste. Jalmar, welcome to the podcast, and tell us a little bit more about Karma.
4: Thank you very much. Happy to be here, or uh, from home, I guess. Um, uh, Yeah, more about Karma. Karma is an anti-food waste app uh, that's been around since 2016, started out in Stockholm, Sweden. Um, A very simple concept. We help restaurants, grocery stores, and now wholesalers and farms uh, sell their surplus food to consumers. Uh, started off with uh, the cafe on the corner and now have grown to have about 80% of all the grocery stores in Sweden, uh, rapidly expanding in the UK and France. And um, yeah, it's it's been an interesting couple of years uh, learning, having myself learned a lot about food waste and, and the food industry in general and all the opportunities that are there to, to make it even more efficient.
3: So please enlighten me, how big of a problem is this and how efficiently can one company solve it?
4: It's it's a huge problem. In the beginning, we thought that uh, this was untrue facts, you know, one of those facts that people inflate to make the problem seem attractive uh, from a sort of writing standpoint. But one third of all food that's produced is wasted approximately in the world. It's wasted throughout the chain. So this is from production to consumption. Uh, about half of it is wasted in the homes um the other half is wasted from the farm all the way to the retail shelf um and uh we're talking uh, massive values here it's about uh one point four trillion dollars a year uh, and that's the food waste value of it uh so if you would have sort of retailed all of that, that would have been even more and um if you look at the, the amount of it, it's 1.5, and now in some reports, 1.6 billion tons of food a year. So quite a significant amount.
3: That's gigantic. Um, how Take us maybe back to 2016, when you started the company with your co-founders. Uh, how was, were you planning to you know, address this problem, and how has it evolved since? Yeah,
4: so interestingly enough, we actually set out to just build a consumer app. We didn't really have any other criteria than we wanted it to be consumer facing and we wanted it to be a global application, meaning it shouldn't have to just be a local problem that we'd be be solving with it. And uh, going into that space, we tried to figure out, like, what's the one thing that's, like, universal in consumer apps? And we said... Well, uh, a good deal is a good deal anywhere, right? It's the same in Japan as in Canada. Um, so we, we set out to build a deal application, uh, sort of like a, a crowdsourced version of Groupon, because crowdsource was the, the word of the day back in 2016. Um Meaning that if, if you had the app back then, um, you could actually go on town and you could find a deal in a, in a storefront window and you could snap a photo of it and share it with the others on the platform. And we would do deal analysis and try to understand like, what's a good deal? Uh, how do you move products faster if you're a retailer? And, and the business model was using that data to make retailers better. Um, as you can hear, like, it's even hard now explaining exactly what we did, um, we had a couple of thousand users, but the problem was everyone was pulling in their own direction. So some users wanted us to focus in on clothes. Some wanted to do, you know, the grocery store deals that people were snapping. And uh, it just was a, a mess of of uh, different deals. And um, we realized, well, if, if Netflix has trouble recommending you the next movie and they have all the data just around movies, like, will we ever be able to recommend people what's the appropriate deal for you? Uh, being the little team that we were. Um, so we actually sat down. We were running out of money in 2016 from our first small friends and family uh, angel round. And um, we just realized like, okay, either we dissolve the company, we go into consulting, or we have to figure out something fantastic with the product that we've built because essentially the product was the only great thing about uh, the whole company. Um And we realized that some of the deals that were being uploaded were uploaded by restaurants at the end of the day, um, selling their food. And we figured that if these restaurants, because they were quite high end, if these restaurants have this problem, why wouldn't everyone have this problem? Like, it seems like this wouldn't be a luxury restaurant problem. And that's when we started to look into the food waste angle of things and discover the problem. And were first, you know, uh, appalled by the fact that so much were being thrown away that one third was wasted and then we saw that no one was really solving this uh, especially not on a global level there's all these great initiatives but they usually extend a couple of streets away and it's these local you know charity pickups and a lot of other really great things but that are not really scalable and we said well with the product that we've built we can clearly scale this and solve this all over the world uh in some point
3: Great. So what you basically have done is you looked at uh, at local solutions that were already functioning, but at a very small scale, and take it internationally. But what does it mean for you to scale it internationally? Like, are not all markets the same in that sense? Because I imagine that the way that groceries and restaurants or sort of deal with food waste today are not that much different in in any market
4: well i mean i would assume the same so the the biggest problem with food waste is the massive denial of its existence i would say that you know we know for a fact that at least one third of all food is being wasted and yet anytime you ask anyone in the food industry like do you have food waste the answer is usually like no i don't have any it's such an established part of the chain uh, that if you ask someone in a restaurant you have food waste and they they will reply no usually they will say like yeah but it's extremely little and when you start to dig into that usually people you know that's where the conversation stops uh but if you get to dig into that you can figure out that they're throwing away you know anywhere between uh five to fifty uh fully fledged meals or products per day and that to them is is you know just a couple of uh, percent of their business so it's not really something that they care about uh, most of them um this is obviously not true for everyone so the the biggest problem with food waste lies in educating people that you know while food waste is number 15 on your priority list as it should be because if you were to put that above any of the other you know 14 things like operational excellence or unit economics for the food um then you would probably have uh huge issues with running your business as it is but what we're trying to do is basically saying like you know what just take it off your list like we'll take it out of that place 15 that you don't have time to think about anyways and we'll turn it into something that will actually boost the other 14 things that you worry about Um, so um, i mean that's why that's why the the platform and the the product and the, the issue in itself is not just something you throw out a solution to and say, like, hey, here it is. Because, like, technically, we could be anywhere in the world tomorrow where the the product and the platform has no limitations whatsoever. But it's just uh, the educational part of both teaching the restaurants and grocery stores and wholesalers about the new way of handling food waste. And then to get the consumers on there and say, like, hey, look, everyone, we have a bunch of really... Uh, great places here that are taking care of their food waste now can you help them out so matching that uh, in real time with the few minutes a day when people say like okay if i care about my food waste what happens now we need to make sure that that food waste is actually moved so making sure those transactions happens after each other that's where we spend all of our effort
3: and too much shame i i I've followed your company for a while um, because you've raised funding over the years as well uh, so I've been watching but I've never downloaded the app until before this interview and of course you're not you're not in Belgium yet which means I can't use it but I signed up as an ambassador in my defense um, nice. but I'm really but I'm really wondering what it, what it actually what it's like as a model because I can't see it yet but if a, if I'm a consumer in the UK or Sweden right now I go on the Karma app what do I see?
4: So you see all the places around you that have surplus for sale um, uh, we actually is in real
3: time
4: yeah in real time so the difference with us to any other platform because there's now several different platforms uh the difference with us is that we actually uh force the restaurants and grocery stores to upload the items that they have so there are no you know mystery bags or secret boxes or whatever uh we actually say like if you have ingredients for uh a pasta bolognese that you want to move then you actually upload that um and we can we can get back to why that's important, but um, not only does it give you as a consumer the op- opportunity to actually choose what you're eating, and this is especially important when you look at you know people who are who are living in food poverty because uh, not everyone of course, but uh, uh, some people on karma are in food poverty, and selling food at a reduced price actually gives them access to this great food which you usually wouldn't afford to eat. Um, And the great thing about it is that you still have choice as a person living in food poverty. So a lot of the other options when it comes to food waste, like food banks and other things uh, or other apps that are tackling this, they they give the opportunity to get access to food, but they take away choice. And we think that that's one of the most important things to be able to offer people for doing something like this, like what we're asking of you as a consumer, uh, even though we're not uh, where you are right now, uh, we... um, we want to make sure that when we are there, you should have the opportunity to say, like, "This is what I want to eat. Can I save that today?" Uh, because if we give you something else, if 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 you say, like, "Oh, I'm willing to go the extra mile to um, pick up some surplus food," and then you get something that you don't want to eat, uh, I mean, that would just be that would be waste in in two at two levels, right? You would think that you solved the problem, but then it would still be wasted at the end of the day because you probably didn't want to eat that. So. What you would see is actually the individual items that are uploaded, and uh, you can buy them directly through the app. Uh, you can actually go and pick it up on location immediately after you've bought it. Uh, so it's not that you have to wait for the full day. I mean, the power of analyzing individual surplus like we're doing is that we can actually help restaurants and grocery stores optimize their business in a way that says, like, imagine that you run a lunch restaurant, right? you then have um, let's say you have 100 uh, pasta bolognese just to stick to the red thread you have 100 pasta bolognese going out every day at lunch i'm probably pronouncing it wrong (laughs) also gonna get flamed by italians after this Uh, you have a hundred of them going out every lunch and then um, one day you see that you have 110 left that's where karma steps in and we will be able to say like look, you usually have 100 left at this point, Uh, you have 10 more, do you want to put them on karma? Because when you have 100 left, you usually end up with, you know, five when you close the shop uh, that are still unsold, if you will. Um, So we can actually go in and analyze the behavior of each individual dish and say, like, here's how you should act to make sure that at the end of the day, you are sitting with zero surplus. And that does not mean that you have to wait until the last 30 minutes of opening time to, you know, Push everything to people who are willing to pick up stuff at nine or ten p m you can actually throughout the day always optimize for zero surplus
3: yeah, that's quite quite interesting because it's also a form of inventory management for you know the the business side of the of your model of course,
4: yeah, and that's become really interesting because I mean we're starting to get we have you know ten million plus rows of data for individual items, so we're able to start doing some really interesting analysis of You know, if if you're running a a food business today and you have, you know, extremely good control of your surplus, what that means is that you probably know that, you know, Thursdays we sell more uh, pasta bolognese than we do on Fridays. Um, That's the like the greatest level of detail that we've encountered when talking to restaurants. And what we're able to give you is to say. Today is the third Saturday of May. And uh, uh, during this period, like pasta bolognese is the worst dish you could ever produce. <laughs> like it has a 50% drop in popularity um, because we can analyze across fields. So it's not just per restaurant. So uh, I think the bigger we become, the better we become at doing this as well. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see in a couple of years when we can actually, you know, significantly improve businesses. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's quite interesting because in the beginning, you mentioned that, um, you know, if you talk to restaurants or grocery stores or retailers, that there's often um, they don't acknowledge the problem, or at least they don't, they're not aware of the scale of the problem. Um, What are, because you're not from the food industry before, I assume, what are some of the other things you've learned in your conversations with, you know, with, with with those kind of people?
4: I've learned a lot of things. That's a good question. Um, I've learned how complex the food chain is and how fragile it is, if you will. Um, one mischipment or delays or you know a bad day of weather can actually have a huge impact at the bottom line of what products become available and when um i've i've been astounded by how well it's functioning uh, despite very very limited data and analysis of what's working well how can we improve it i mean most grocery stores today for instance they do rounds to pick up their surplus you know several times a day to just go through all the aisles picking out the products. they sometimes go through and look at each individual product they try to move you know short dates ahead and longer dates to the back they do so much manual work that we can help with and not just us but you know several um, different startups and and enterprises can help them optimize this in a way that i think the, the food industry is a little bit afraid of of being going digital uh because it's been it's been working really well without it for the the longest time um so i think there's this notion of like do i really need to go digital like i'm fine as i am um and i think that's um that's the most interesting thing that i've learned how incredibly well it's functioning uh without being you know as digital as many other um areas in the world so um um, yeah just getting to glimpse into that reality has been amazing
3: yeah I can imagine it's a steep learning curve for you as well, um but you mentioned how complex the food chain uh, really is, and i you know um, of course, with the current situation there's a whole other level of complexity that comes on top of it. So my obvious question is how is this uh, corona uh, crisis affecting your customers and your business um
4: Another good question. It's been a, a very interesting couple of weeks. Um I mean first of all it's it's horrible to to have to see that uh see a crisis uh affect the global economy at this scale. I mean we we can only uh talk from our small little insight of of running a startup in three countries in Europe, but what it's meant to us is really um We've seen an increased demand for takeaway, which is basically what if you narrow it down, that's what you do with Karma. You buy stuff and you go there and pick it up. So dining in has really died out. Um, I just saw uh, um, uh, an interview with a hotel owner uh, from one of the most popular hotels here in Stockholm where I'm sitting right now. And they usually have 500 guests staying overnight and they had three tonight. Uh, so I think the hospitality industry has just you know imploded uh, over the course of fourteen to twenty one days and um uh, what we 're seeing then is an increased amount of of takeaway so we've actually seen an uptick in in number of people buying on karma. People are also starting to get a little worried in times of a rough economy uh, People are talking about a downturn, and then obviously both the restaurants need to look uh at their own bottom line and say hey now it actually matters to look at that you know at 0.15 on my to-do list taking care of food waste is actually meaningful for my bottom line now um and for consumers as well we've seen that people that are going into you know a worrying economic situation would then say like okay i don't want to spend you know uh tens or 20 or 30 euro on on a meal today i actually want to go a little bit conservative but i still want to eat well so i'm going to pick up this you know sushi box um uh, from karma um like uh, one of the things that we've seen is like Itsu has got a huge uh, boost in these times and uh, a couple of other like big chains that are selling great quality food uh, have really seen an uptick on karma um in the last couple of days um, but then the curfew happened in the UK and I think, uh, or at least the limitation of movement, if whatever you want to call it. And that's, uh, that's been more challenging because then to, even though you can go out and pick up takeaway, I think a lot of people choose not to. So we've actually introduced a couple of new concepts and basically had to reinvent ourselves over the course of the last few days. Um, so we've introduced delivery in, in, um, Stockholm right now, expanding to more cities in Sweden uh, and also London as of today, actually. Um, I think we had it for the last two days, but that was literally people from Karma running around uh, and trying to learn how to how to do delivery. Now we've professionalized it and uh, we're using established delivery firms that are doing uh, you know everything they can to help out in these trying times.
3: I'm I'm super I'm super fascinated by that. Was that something you were already playing with that idea or was it just because the situation demanded it?
4: We've had such great demand in Karma. Like people are literally yeah. sometimes we can sell if if um if a restaurant uploads uh <laughs> today's lunch, uh, 40 pieces of it, it can sell out in minutes, which means that we usually haven't we've talked about delivery a couple of times, but we've always landed in like, oh, we don't really need it because the supply it's going like crazy, anyways. Um, but now we've actually said like oh, it's more of a it's more of a um, function that we want to add to help society uh, rather than boosting sales. Like uh, obviously our sales are are affected by people limiting their movement, but it's not in the way where it would destroy our business for just sitting on our hands and waiting this out. But it's more about reading all these stories about people sitting at home uh, trying to make ends meet that just means that we could actually play an important role there as we're selling um surplus food at a discount Uh, and a lot of people still want the food they just don't want to get it so uh, if we can get it to them that was that was uh, an easy sort of opportunity for us to to jump on
3: yeah, makes sense. Um, and how are you dealing with, uh, with the situation internally? I assume that everyone's working from home and that you're sort of used to working remotely in a distributed team and all that. But uh, has it really affected, has it changed the way that you operate as a company in the last four or five weeks?
4: Yeah, everyone's working from home. It's changed quite significantly how we operate as a company. Uh, surprisingly, we've, we've uh, adjusted surprisingly well to the to the working from home situation. Um. Very little friction, but we usually go remote first anyway. So we we always have like Google Hangout links um, in all calendar invitations, uh, and we always connect to that. If one person is remote, we usually call in everyone so you can see everyone's faces and not be the odd one out. So somehow I think we were a little bit prepared for it. Um, other parts are of course more more challenging. I'm I myself am a huge believer in building a strong Uh, not face-to-face culture, but a culture where you actually work closely with your colleagues. And I think it's not impossible, but it's really challenging once you're remote. Um, So Uh, Not having an office is, of course, uh, uh, we socialize less. We try to do it over Hangout and do, you know, breakfasts and coffees and dinners and stuff together, but it's not really the same. So I would say that's the biggest hit we've taken, but we can we can survive that for a couple of weeks or months if we have to.
3: Yeah, let's hope we can go back to the at least a somewhat normal situation soon. Um, but also, I noticed that you've raised about like close to $17 million as a business so far. But the last round, the Series A round, was actually almost about two years ago. So does that leave you with enough uh, cash in the bank to sort of, uh, you know, weather the storm?
4: Yeah, so we, um, interestingly enough, we've actually been creeping closer and closer towards profitability, which was not the initial intention. Um, but it's something that I mean we've been I think we're 12xing our revenue since doing that round uh, so we've uh, we've done very well so far and uh, I think we can um, you know, we can do even better going forward and even though this crisis is upon us uh, we're in a pretty good shape uh, of course everyone's struggling as you don't it's really difficult to forecast. Uh, what will this mean for us? Will it be like zero percent revenues for a week, a month, or you know, f- six months? Um, and how will the sort of capital markets be affected long term? But that's why I'm, I'm really happy that we we've strayed towards profitability as it is, because in these challenging times, it, it feels like a, a really nice uh, way to be able to go to uh, to be default alive rather than default dead. Uh, so. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, we're in a good spot, but uh, who knows? You never know good. what this crisis, where this crisis turns.
3: Yeah, I was just going to say, it's the uncertainty, right? And I was going to ask also, this is the final question, but on a broader level, do you think it's going to have a massive impact on not just the Swedish startup ecosystem, but maybe even the European ecosystem as a whole? Because, you know, of course, early stage startups and investors are sort of in, in panic mode right now, as they should be probably. Um, but is it going to have a, a long lasting impact, you know? In Your uh, point of view.
4: I think so. I think the market was shaken bad enough so that it will have a long-standing impact on valuations for companies. I think a lot of companies that were not doing any any revenue or you know that were pre-product or pre-revenue might have a hard time to weather the storm. Depending on how long it will be. I mean, if everything's over tomorrow, I think we'll have a fairly quick recovery. But by the looks of it, this is going at least beyond April and probably beyond that as well. Yeah, I just think the longer this goes on, the more volatile the whole startup industry valuation uh, game will get. And we were at an incredible—we were in like the best market possible uh, for our times uh, just before the crisis. So getting back to that might take some time. I'm of course hope that it hope that it will, but. Yeah, I think a lot of people have to uh, reiterate on their business models to make sure to go for first short-term wins and then some mid-long-term, at least semi-profitability to be stable during times like these.
3: Yeah, that's great advice. I think we're going to wake up in another world uh, either way. Uh, Hopefully, the end will uh, be soon inside. But uh, hey, I want to thank you so much for your time and uh, sharing some of your insights and uh, some more clarification on how uh, karma works. Uh, I wish you all the best best and uh, all all the
1: best luck in the world. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And this is it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening, and thanks a lot to Robin Wouters, who conducted both interviews that I shared with you today. Please help us spread the word, tell a friend or colleague about this show, and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by sound pulse that is sound Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions and opinions at podcast at tech EU. And of course, if you think that we should interview you for one of the future episodes, do get in touch with us on the same email address or any other way known to you. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy your week and talk to you next Monday. Bye-bye.